Hello, my name is Steve Brown, and I'm the worship leader at Vintage Faith Church. At Vintage Faith, we believe the Word of God is what changes and transforms a person. We hope you enjoy the next 30 to 40 minute sermon of the Word of God being proclaimed and explained. Enjoy the message. Good morning. The Christmas come down. We can do it. I ate for three hours straight last night. I'm still full. Okay. Scripture reading this morning. We're looking at the book of Ezekiel. I'm reading Ezekiel chapter 14, 1 to 5. Then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me, and the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols, that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel, who are all estranged from me through their idols. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you, like Evan just said, uh, many of us probably ate too much and rested too much and and others worked probably too hard and um lord we just come to you as as a people who who may be tired and groggy and we just ask that your word open our our hearts and our minds today give us a joy um, a joy that can only come from you Um, we pray this in, in your mighty name amen all right well um, we're here. It was tough, tough, tough to wake up this morning. Uh, so, if if Christmas does anything in in our hearts, um, and and kids are not excluded here, I think it it exposes our discontentment. Um, I don't know about you, but. But there's a certain letdown to, to Christmas being over, uh, the season that, you know, the, the warmth and, and all of that. It's, you know, you come the, the day after Christmas and it's like, oh, it's over. Back to, to normal life, back to, to real life. Um, and so I, I had, you know, with, with Christmas Eve and Christmas so close together and... Uh, that I usually spend most of my days prepping the sermon is Saturday, and that day was Christmas. Um, I had this message kind of, it's been something that, that God has been impressing on my heart for, for years. Like, I mean, at this point, maybe five, six years. Um, and the reason that it's being preached today is because I didn't have all day yesterday to prepare. I didn't want to take that um, fully away from my family. So you're going to hear a lot of stuff that, that you hear from me. You're going to hear some quotes that, that you've heard before. Um, but we're going to talk today about idolatry. And you're like, 
oh, wait, the day after Christmas, we're talking about idolatry. Um, but I, I really do think that there's something in that, in that discontent that, that we typically feel, especially after Christmas, where our hearts are just kind of, they're going after things that, other than God, and we're trying to find this weight, this weightiness, this ultimate significance in, in the things of this world. And, and I, again, I think Christmas just exposes that in our hearts. Um, the first scripture we're going to look at is from the Apostle John. And he says this just right at the end of his letter. He says, little children, he's talking to the church, and he says, keep yourself from idols. The word idol is used 30 times in the New Testament and 127 times in the Old Testament. And a lot of times we, especially Christians today, we can be confused as to, well, what is idolatry? You know, I don't worship a statue. Um, what, what is it? Isn't that, a, you know, a kind of an archaic old, Old Testament thing? And they were just less evolved than us, and they were worshiping statues. And, and I just I want to make the case today that idolatry still exists, and we all still struggle with it. Um, Amen. And, and, and I, the case is that our discontent often is flowing from us putting that weight in our hearts on something other than God. Uh, Tim Keller, in, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, this is, this is a book, what, probably the book that, that set me thinking about this idea in motion maybe five, six, seven years ago. Um, he says this, an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. So idolatry has to do with worship. And there's two different ways to, to look at worship. You hear us talking about it. You have the Sunday, the Lord's gathering worship, where the body of Christ comes together and we sing together and we sit under the preached word and the, the, re, the word read and, and the, the uh, ordinances are practiced. That is, it, it, think of it as kind of a focused, God-commanded type of worship that fuels the rest of your life. Um, the worship of the rest of your life, and the worship of your rest of your life fuels the worship that, that you come in on Sunday. It's, they're together. They, they feed off of each other. Um, they're not different types of worship, but they play out differently. So idolatry is, is ultimately a worship problem, and me and you and our discontent is usually always a worship problem. The, the Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 1, 22 to 25, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And this is the key right here. Because they changed, exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And that's really when 
what we do, and especially during Christmas when, you know, you've heard me talking for the last four weeks about Advent, how there's a certain longing we experience in Advent, and, and really where we go wrong is we often just, we, we want it now. We, we, we try to take that thing that is only meant for God, and we try to find it in his creation and, and things that he've made, he's made. That can play out with, you could worship your spouse, you could worship your kids, um, you could worship your job, and we're going to kind of get into that. That's the idolatry that we, we all struggle with today, is taking this, this heart, this, this, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes, but the writer says eternity in the heart, and we put it on creation. And Paul says that that's the problem with all of humanity. Um, a quote that I've, that I've used before, uh, a local author, um, David Foster Wallace, not, not a Christian, but he was getting at this idea of worship. Um, and he said this in his commencement speech uh, at, I, I forget the college, but it was at a college. And he's talking to young kids. And again, this is not a religious, um, this is a, a college commencement speech. And he says, because here's something else that's true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Again, this is coming from not a Christian. Everybody worships. If you worship money and things, if they're where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. And We can find that in the Bible. Ecclesiastes will talk about that. Like If that's where you put your meaning, that you need money and things, you're just never going to have enough. It's going gonna, it's gonna to own you. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. Worship power, and you will feel weak and afraid, and you will never, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. So I hope just in that, again, this is a quote from a a non-religious person. He's saying, hey, we all put this worship on something, and whatever that is, it's going to own you, it's going to tyrannize you, it's going to drive you, it's going to push you, you're going to make sacrifices for it, you're going to give your time to it. That's worship. That's, that's idolatry. It's modern-day idolatry. Uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So you, you and I have, um, and all human beings have, what, what the Bible would say, eternity in your heart. It's the weight of worship that only God can satisfy, and we often just, again, we put that on, on other things, and we're let down, and we feel discontent. But what I want to kind of unpack today is uh, something that years ago I stumbled upon, um, and this is not you're not going to find this in one verse in the Bible, but you will find it all throughout the Bible. When you're reading the Bible, you're going to see it. Um, but some theologians ha- have uncovered over time this idea that there's four underlying deep human 
desires that turn into idolatry. And that these four underlying human desires actually fuel some of the, what they would say, surface idols, like money, greed, power, sex, lust, all that stuff. But there's actually something underneath all of them that they'll say Jesus is, is aiming at when you read the Gospels. He's, he's getting at these four idols of, of the human soul, of the human being. And, and they are, if you're a note taker, now's the time to take notes. We're just going to briefly unpack all of these. And again, this isn't going to be a sermon where you come out of it and like, oh, I do this, this, and this. This is something that just you'll think about. I've been thinking about this for years, and it's really, truly helped me in, in my walk with Christ. I start seeing when I'm in situations like, oh, why did you do that, Anthony? And then I'm like, okay, well, I think I back up. I did that because I need this or I need that. And you'll see here in a minute. But they are acceptance, which the Bible would call fear of man. The need for affirmation from people to, to feel good about yourself. Control. The need to control circumstances and the desire to control circumstances that are outside of your control. Power and influence. And comfort. And as we go through this, this sermon, I think what you're going to find is it's going to hit, each one will hit home. Um, and, and you're probably lean towards one or the like a few. We all struggle with all of these, and I'll kind of unpack my own heart in, in some of this and how I've struggled. Um, but probably you're going to lean more towards one of them. And this is not exhaustive. There's other categories. You might be thinking, well, what about this? What about this? This is, this is just an, a way to look into your own heart, um, a way to... When you read the Bible, you're going you're gonna to read stories and you might see, oh, wow, that's what's going on here. Um, I'm going to touch on some of those Bible stories. But one of the practical things I just wanted to throw out there is we're heading into a new year. I know some of you are writers and some of you are journalers and some of you are not, but I would just suggest get a journal and uh, maybe take, take the year to, to, to look at these things in your own heart as you read the Bible. Like, hey, what... What is driving me? What is driving my own discontent in my own life? And, and again, it's not always as simple as saying, well, of course, I, it's Jesus and, and I'm over here. I mean, that's the simple answer, but the, it is a little more nuanced than that. Um, if you were to ask me what the majority of the Christian life should be about, it's beholding the glory of Jesus Christ and exalting him. The Bible says that is how we are changed, but we are also called to look into our own hearts at times. And that should be less than looking at Jesus. I truly believe we could, you could go really narcissistic on that and you know, always looking at yourself, and we're transformed by looking at Christ. Um, all right, so let's get into the idols of the heart. And again, this might sting for some of you, um, but I can assure you I struggle with every one of these. So, um, All right, acceptance, affirmation, fear of man. Proverbs 29, 25. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Fear of man will prove to be 
a snare. Some of your translations might say a trap in a snare or a trap and a snare. Um, the Bible is going to constantly put this before God's people. Do you fear God or do you fear people? And for all Christians, God is going to lead you into places where he tests you in that, where he puts you in a situation where you will choose, do I need the affirmation of people or do I want the well-done, good and faithful servant? We all struggle with this, but some of you probably struggle with it more than others. There's a story in the Gospels when people are coming to faith and Jesus is preaching in the synagogues and, 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 and preaching to, to the Jewish people and the Pharisees, the Jews that held the power, were really pressing Jesus and, and um, didn't like that people were following him. And they were putting some things in place. People that did confess Christ were being booted out of synagogues. And the synagogue was the place of life for the Jew in that time. That's where everything happened. It would have been, think, the church, but on steroids. Like It was the community of where these people lived. And there's this really sad scripture in John 12. And talks about the fear of man. It says, Nevertheless, many, even the, of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And that's something we all have to reckon with. Do you want the affirmation and praise and glory that comes from people, or do you want the affirmation and praise and glory that comes from God? When I began teaching here at Vintage Faith Church 10 years ago, maybe, or uh, um, well, 2010, uh, and, and as that progressed, I was letting the my grip go on the job that I was working and, and I had been advancing in the job and, and climbing the ladder and you guys have heard this story um, and I, I remember thinking like at, at one point like I, I really don't care what people think about me at, especially at my job like I didn't care about that I knew God was leading me in another direction but then I slowly started to, to realize well I really care what people think about me when I preach because I love that I'm like, okay, so I, I kind of was rolling like, I fear a man, I'm not fear anyone, I'll do whatever, I don't care, you know, but then you get in another situation and God says, well, you care maybe a little bit more than you think. Um, and, and he's had to work me through on that. Um, so I would ask you, do you feel captive to, to what others think? Has that held you back from doing things? Maybe stepping out, maybe... Um, maybe the Lord is, is calling you to, to do something and, and you just fear, well, what if, I, what if I don't do it well? What if people don't like it? Um, and that's something that you've got to reckon with because God's going to call his people into places where people might even hate you for what you're saying or doing. And you've got to be okay with that. 
So even this idea of acceptance and, and affirmation and, and fear of man can drive <clears throat> why someone would overwork. And let me explain that to you here from, from the Bible. Ecclesiastes 4.11. <clears throat> Excuse me. The writer says, Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This is also vanity and a striving after the wind. So, so right here, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes is putting his finger on something. Now, when you read the book of, of Ecclesiastes, you've got to be very careful because he's wrestling with his own heart. He's saying things that are not necessarily balanced. But here, he's putting his finger on something that, that is sometimes true. People can overwork, which we would say, hey, that person has an idolatry problem of work or money or whatever, but it could come from envy. It could come from a place of, I really want to show my neighbors and these people that I can be successful. And you see what's happening when you do that. You have other people's opinion driving how you're living your life, how you're spending your time. This quote from Madonna I've shared multiple times. And this is kind of getting at the heart of a few of the issues we're going to talk about today. But she says, my drive in life is from this horrible feeling, fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I, I am somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. So that's just, that's... Madonna just confessing, like, hey, I'm doing this because I have a fear of being mediocre. I have a fear of not being successful. What is that other than the applause and praise and affirmation of people um, controlling us? All right. The second idol, deep idol, control. This is going to hit a nerve for some of us. And, and for some of you, you're going to be like, I, this is not me. Matthew 6, 25 to 27, Jesus is going to really kind of put his, his finger on um, just the, the, the bloodline of, of anxiety. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. So he's talking about anxiety. What you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And here it is. This is, this is the, the verse. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So Jesus is saying, your anxiety is because you are trying to worry and control things that you can't control. That's, that's what that last verse is just pressing in on. You can't add an hour to your life by being anxious. And it, for those of you who struggle with anxiety, and I do at times, that's what it's about, right? You're worrying and you're in a situation and, or you're about to go to a situation and you think, well, it could go really bad. It could go here. Could go here. What do I do if I go here? You might even try to, to change the situation if you can. And Jesus is saying, your anxiety is about control. 
Your anxiety is about control. Which of you, by being anxious, can add an hour to his span of life? And we all know the answer to this. None of us. None of us can. So here's a question for those who struggle with control. Is your greatest fear when everything feels out of control? So is chaos your greatest fear? Do you feel anxiety when you begin to sense you have lost control? And again, I know there's some in here that that's going to hit harder than others. Um, and, and again, we all struggle with all of these things, but some are going to struggle more. And I would say to you, if you struggle with this, the best medicine for anxiety is a good biblical dose of the providence of God. Proverbs 16.9 the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. It's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So I would ask, do you, do you constantly think about your life and wonder, well, what if I, if I did this, my life would be different here or Man, was that decision that I made yesterday, was it the right one? And, you know, to an extent, that can be healthy. But that can eat you up. And I would just say, you've you, you got to, at some point, rest. And you are where you are in the situation that you're in because of God's providential hand. Psalm 139, 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was when as yet there was one of them. So the Bible will on repeat talk about the end is written, it's already there, your days have been written. Doesn't cancel out that you have free will and you can you can actually make decisions. It doesn't cancel it out, but at the same time you can rest in saying, well, that decision I made yesterday was the decision that I made. I made it. It was written for me. It's done. It's over. And rest. Richard Lintz says this of, of this idea of, of choice and, and control. So, so we have this mistaken impression that we live in a world where, because we have so many choices... We can control our destiny more than we could have in an earlier age. And that language of progress is the language of choice and control. The deep, unsatisfying part of this great contemporary myth, that's the age that me and you live in, is that we all also feel overwhelmed, paralyzed almost, by the amount of choices that we have in our lives. I don't know if you feel like that, but I do at times. I, I don't know if you have Netflix, but have you ever opened up Netflix without knowing exactly what movie you're going to watch? We've done that many times, and half hour later, you're still scrolling through. You're like, there's just so many movies. Like, where, where do I land? I it met, you know, the, the older people in the room, our kid, the kids, not so much, but you guys remember you had three channels, and whatever you watched was programmed for you at one point, right? It's Friday night, or it's that, what was it, Dallas that everyone watched on Friday night? 
I remember that as a kid, or it's, uh, you know, Growing Pains is on. That's what we're watching. There's nothing else to watch. Growing Pains is on. Let's, let's learn about the Seavers. But uh, we, we live in a day and an age where you're choosing everything, and, and what this guy's saying and, and, and what adds to it, uh, to this idea of anxiety, is we just have the mistaken impression that we have control over everything. We have so many choices, and that can be damaging. And I would just say, breathe out. If you struggle with this, just breathe. You are where God wants you to be. God will open doors. He will close doors. He will give you desires. He will take desires away from you. He will move in that. He is sovereign and providential. He, yes, he's going to use your choices, but he's actually going to open your mind and, and, and give you a heart that, that wants what he wants for you. So breathe, breathe out if you struggle with control. All right, the next one, power and influence. Okay, so here, here's a self-diagnostic question. Do you struggle with anger when you are disrespected? I mean, to some extent, we all do. Um, do you feel the need to, to always be right? Jesus says in Matthew, he says, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So the kingdom of God flips this desire that, that we all have to build our own kingdom, our own name, and flips it where we are to humble ourselves and exalt Christ. Um, when I was working at, at the place that I, that I was at, when it, <clears throat> it was a large uh, distribution company, and and as I kind of progressed through the company, at one point, there was about 50 people that, that worked for me, um, some direct reports and then some people under them. And, and I was really, this, this was a struggle of mine, power and influence. Um, I can remember being angry when people would question me. And it wasn't like they were out of line. I was just me thinking, do you... Do you know who I am? Do you know what position I'm in? I mean, I'm, that sounds arrogant. I'm confessing that to you guys. It's, it was arrogant. And, and that would go through my mind. Like, you can't question me. You work for me. And you don't know what you think you know. And when I was disrespected, I would feel like that, that would hurt. And I would, I'd go home and like that one, that guy that disrespected me, man, it would just consume my thoughts. All it took was one person to do that. There's a story in the Bible, in the book of Esther. Um, Haman, he wanted to be the king's right-hand man, and uh, there was this guy that, that wouldn't bow to him. And everyone was giving Haman the respect that, that he needed or, or deserved in his position. But one guy, Mordecai, he would not bow to him. Mordecai was a Jew, and he, out of his principles, he's not bowing down to Haman. And Haman couldn't stand it. He'd go home and he, it would be all about this one Jew. He won't bow down to me. And what, is more, or what does Haman do? Let's kill every Jew in the whole land. I don't want any of these people. These people have a higher God than me. I want these people respecting me. I don't want this to happen again. So he devises a plan to wipe out and kill all the Jews. What is that other than, I need to have power, 
I need to be, have influence. I need to be respected. Some of you might know the name Chris Evert. She's a, I think an 80s tennis player, um, long, long gone on the tennis scene. But she said, I, I was depressed and afraid because so much of my life had been defined by my being a tennis champion. I was completely lost. Winning made me feel like I was somebody. It made me feel pretty. It was like I was hooked on a drug. I needed the wins, the applause, in order to have an identity. So if you, you see that, she needed the win. That's kind of power. And then the applause. I need the affirmation of people. These are things that are underneath the hood on all of us. They're, they're there and they drive um, our, our behavior. And sometimes if we're not looking at them, we, we don't quite know why we do the things we do. So with power and influence, I would just ask, do you long for getting the credit? Like when you're doing a project at work, do you need people to know that it was you that, that pulled it off? Is your ambition, which ambition is not bad, but is your ambition selfish? Because the Bible does call out that, you know, the, the selfish ambition. Are we looking to build Christ's kingdom or are we looking to build our kingdom? That's power and influence. So the, la the last one is comfort. And save this one for last because I think in America, America you know, we, this, is, this is like the idol of our land. And, and we don't, I think, even see it because we, we live in America and it's probably not just, it's, it's the West in general, third world countries certainly um, would not be able to identify with, with this idol like we would. Um, so another a personal story, comfort, I, I struggle with. This is something I deeply uh, struggle with. I, I love my comfort. And when I'm not talking comfort like a couch and a you know, I'm talking like, I like having time to myself. I like to be able to say I'm waking up today and I'm doing, you know, schedule my day, whatever Anthony wants to do. Go for a run, go for a, well, it's more like a walk these days. <laughs> you know, uh, read, coffee, read more. Um, and, when, you know, when I first started you guys have heard my story about preaching when Pastor Ken had asked me to preach, and you know, I've always had a fear of, of speaking publicly. Um, and again, it's kind of a joke that God's laughing that, that I do this every weekend. But there was a time when, when Ken first started asking me to preach, it would be like for the first three years, maybe four times a year, maybe three, three to four times a year. And... Uh, Man, a month, a month before I was about to do that sermon, I was like on edge and like everything was wrecked. And I just couldn't wait to get to being done. Like my, so I'd have a full month of just discomfort, thinking about it all the time, doing, you know, getting the sermon ready, thinking about it, thinking about how it could go wrong. You know, well, what if I got so nervous I passed out? What, you know, all these possible thoughts that are going through your mind. And ever since that, I feel like God has been very much chipping it away at, at my idol of, of comfort. Um, there's just always a, a new level of like, okay, I'm, I'm taking this. Learn to live with it. And, and that can feel harsh, but what God's doing in those situations is saying, I want you to find your comfort in me. 
not in your circumstances, not in having everything before you perfectly um, laid out the way you want it laid out. But uh, just, I don't have this quote, <clears throat> but this is, this is from me, um, but I wrote it down. So the person who idolizes comfort will tend to control their environment, to set it up for relaxation or things that do not require them to stretch. Again, I'm speaking from personal experience here. Um, this person will tend not to step out of their comfort zone. So we hear that word all the time in, in America, comfort zone, and it's, it's real. Like, if you're going to stretch, you got to step out of that, that zone of comfort. Um, maybe instead of doing, you're prone to dreaming about things, talking about things, but when it comes to doing it, you're like, eh, I, I'm not going to actually do that. Um, you can sacrifice relationships for comfort because community requires discomfort. We all know that. Um, when you're around people, there's, there's always situations that can be uncomfortable. Um, but God is not calling Christians to a life of comfort. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's no longer you who lives, it's Christ who lives in you. And you are, um, Paul says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Your whole life, your whole existence, your whole breath is God's. It's not yours. So that's really what can jostle you out of that, that comfort idol is to, to say, well, this isn't my life, actually. As much as I want it to be my life and I want to do what Anthony wants to do, when Anthony wants to do it, it is not my life. God has redeemed us and he is going to use us. And if he says go, you've got to go or you're, you think you're going to be comfortable, but you won't. You'll be uncomfortable in your denial or your rebellion against him. So you will not have comfort if you are a child of God until you follow what God is calling you to do. So again, back to, to, to the Wallace, David Foster Wallace quote, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. Everybody worships, and we wouldn't call it worship. We don't call, I don't call my desire for comfort worship. And the desire for comfort in some of these things is not always bad. We just can, at times, if we have that idol, we elevate it, whatever it is for you. Is it, do you have to have control of your circumstances? Do you always need comfort? Is it power and influence that you long for, or is it the praise of people that you need? Following Christ will challenge all these deep idols in our heart. Fear of man. If God calls you to share the gospel, you, you know. If God puts you in a situation where he wants you to talk to people about him, that is not comfortable. And you know you will need to get over that fear of uh, what people think about you fast. Control. God says to Nebuchadnezzar, after Nebuchadnezzar, um, he looks at all the kingdoms of the world and are all the kingdoms of Babylon. And he's like, look at this. This is all mine. I've created this, my majesty. And God, because of that, God rebukes him. 
he loses his mind, he, he turns in basically to an animal, and God says, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will, you're going to be living like an animal. And that's all throughout the Bible. Like God gives, he gives kings, he gives presidents, he gives everything you have is given. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to control it. Comfort. On this side of heaven, God will call us into hard places, hard assignments, and many trials. Life is not comfortable. Matthew 16, Jesus, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will, will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? This is the exact opposite intuition that we all feel. We try to, you know, let me put everything around me in my life for me, for my comfort, for my, um, I, I, I'm going to build my life. And Jesus says, no, lose it. Lose it. Go where I tell you to go, even when you don't feel like doing it. Do what I tell you to do when you don't feel like doing it. And then you will find your life. It's the exact opposite of what we feel in our hearts would be the right way to live and find life. And it challenges the comfort idol that we all have, we all struggle. Lose it for Christ and we find everything. So to wrap up the idea of worship, in Psalm 115, I don't think I have this one on the screen, but um, a lot of talk about idolatry in the Old Testament. Psalm 115, 4-8. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. So the psalmist is describing idols, statues. Again, we don't worship statues. Um, they have hands but they do not feel, feet but do not walk and they do not make a sound in their throat. And here's the key idea. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. We become like what we worship. And again, we don't use the language of worship. We become what we're like Whatever that controlling influence in our life is, it could be money, it could be um, lust, it could be maybe it's control, maybe it's acceptance, power, comfort. What is it that is controlling you where you're putting your resource, your time, your thought into? We become like what we worship. So we also become like Christ when we worship Christ. We become like Jesus as we worship Jesus. That is what transform us, transforms us, beholding the glory of the Lord. And from one degree to the next, we become like him through worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, all this, this small group of us today um, that are here, we, we are probably feeling in some ways, some of us discontent, the holiday is over, and, uh, and we've put probably more emphasis and 
desire on some things. Maybe they were meals or presents or gifts or friends, family, whatever. We, we've, we've been let down by putting our hope in, in things and situations. And we feel that discontent today. So, Lord, stir in our hearts as we sing this last song to, to worship you and to, to be set, uh, uh, set in motion, uh, uh, sailing with the wind of the Holy Spirit in our sails because we, we love you and um, we worship you. So, Lord, we, we just we thank you and, and we lift all this up in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vintage Faith Podcast. At Vintage Faith, our vision is to help people who are far from God to become totally devoted followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast brought you closer to God. For more information, check us out at VintageFaithCicero.com.